Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you, as always, by InsideThePenguins.com, a proud affiliate of the Hockey News. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined, as always, by Nick Horwat. We have a great show for you guys today. Obviously, the Penguins get back to business on Tuesday, defeating the Winnipeg Jets by a final score of 3 to nothing. Tristan Jari picks up his sixth shutout. Nola Chari is taken out of the game completely by Brendan Dillon. We'll talk about that situation in just a few minutes. But also, the Minnesota Wild are next on the schedule for the Penguins, and they're hosting a Marc-Andre Fleury night. I looked into it. I was a little confused that they were celebrating Fleury 1,000 when he's already at 1,008 games as he played multiple games since hitting that 1,000 mark. But they waited for the Penguins, so we'll discuss the Penguins legend, the flower, and his night of celebration coming up on Friday evening. And then... We're joined by Brian Metzer, a host for the Penguins Radio Network. You can find him pregame, postgame, intermission reports, and on Saturdays with Paul Steigerwald on Penguins Live Weekly. He joined us for a brief conversation last week to discuss Evgeny Malkin, to discuss the Jake Gensel dilemma, and to discuss, because it is Celebrate 68 month, he discussed a little bit of Yarmir Yager, shared some stories about the great mulleted one, Yogs with about a week and a half until his number goes up into the rafters at PPG Paints Arena. But let's start with the most recent thing that has happened for the Penguins, which was that three to nothing victory over the Winnipeg Jets. A good team victory there, good special teams victory there. But they do lose Nolachari for an undisclosed amount of time. He's still being evaluated as is. The last update that we got from Mike Sullivan, which was post-game on Tuesday. He takes that hit from Brendan Dillon up high in the second period. Pens get a five-minute power play. They score twice on the power play, but they do lose a piece that I consider to be a key piece. Talked about it yesterday on it, Iceberg to go, that with him in the lineup, the Penguins have what would be ranked the number three penalty kill in the league. Without him, they drop down to 28th in the league. So I think it's a key piece, a pivotal piece, and obviously an injury that nobody wants to see because it was pretty nasty in the moment and on the replay play which you hate to keep watching it but you know watching it to make sure last night what the NHL player safety ended up doing with Brendan Dillon because of it it was an ugly hit the uglier part of it was watching him try and get up afterwards I think that was it, it was when you see those sorts of moments that become frightening I mean you see it in football fairly often with just the way a human body can just kind of you know when the brain gets rattled it can just kind of do it can shut down it can do collapse on itself can collapse on itself like it's that that's the frightening part and 
it doesn't help that it's the second time this season where the Penguins and PBG Paints Arena have seen a sort of, oh, that doesn't look good hit for yeah. a Penguin. At John Ludwig, happened. it happened with him in his NHL debut, of course. Much different situation in terms of it was Ludwig the one going for the hit and just kind of caught himself wrong. Um, but this one, I mean, it was the way you know Dylan's shoulder just met Achari's face cleanly. And, and by cleanly, I mean just straight up in the face. No, yeah. nothing really clean about it but um and just fall straight to the ice and then that attempt those attempts to get up that was the frightening part um yeah and i would say it wasn't the most egregious hit that I mean, we don't need to dive Post deep into no we don't need to dive deep into player safety stuff this year and how egregious they've been but this hit wasn't the worst we've seen this year i think three games is perfectly fine uh keep stealing out for the contest on saturday mm-hmm. so you know, maybe you don't have to worry too much about that, and this isn't really a problem that the Penguins will see again until next year. So, yeah, I, uh, that's I, settled. I had assumed that they were at the very least going to keep him out for that game on Saturday because the NHL player, Department of Player Safety, while they don't do their job perfectly all the time, I think that's an understatement. But they they do try to negate retribution as much yeah. as possible because that's when things can get really ugly. I mean, I'm already expecting there to be a carryover a in the blood fluid, uh, uh, a blood feud, excuse me, next week with the Panthers. So, you know, oh, Saturday yeah. against the Jets, Wednesday next week against the Panthers. It could get, uh, it could be two very highly contested and highly physical matchups for the Penguins coming up on their calendar. But, you know, you look at Nolachari now because we don't know what's going on. He, shoot, he could practice today I mean they have practiced at 11 o'clock so we don't know as of this recording highly doubt that he's going to but concussions are so hard to predict don't know the extent of his injuries don't know the length of absence that we can expect from Nolachari but either way the Penguins are going to have to replace his spot in the lineup or likely going to have to replace his spot in the lineup and I think there's two different ways the Penguins can go about this right there's two routes that they can take now there's the safe route and there's the chaos method. And both me and you texted each other back and forth early on Wednesday morning about the chaos method, about how we had the both the same line of thought and some other people online had the same line of thought as well and, and DM'd it to me or, or messaged me or commented under our stuff. The safe route is you plug Colin White in mm-hmm. as the fourth line center. You call up a 13th forward, whether that be Vinny Henestroza, Radim Zahorna, what have you, because White can play the penalty kill. White has a 45% success rate in the face-off dot in his career. He's a guy the Penguins seem to like, seem to want to give him a little bit more of an opportunity at the NHL level. That's the likely method. That's the method that I would expect that they go, especially if it's a shorter-term injury or shorter-term absence that they expect out of Nolichari. Yeah, it's the in-house option of just simply, if it's a short-term thing, it's this, just simply plug him in, pull Achari out for whatever that period of time is. And an easy one-for-one switch, like we mentioned, maybe you call up uh, a guy who's just going to sit, like Vinny Henestroza, like Redeem Zahorna. You're not going to see someone who you want to see playing like a, you know, we'll get into it, like a Sam Poulin or an Alex Neeland or even a Valtteri Pusin. You want those guys playing if they're able to. So if it's a short-term thing, you'd probably just plug and play with Colin White and move on. But if it is longer term, uh, that's when, you know, it's... You can experiment a little. That is when you can give things new tries. Uh, and it really depends on how long t- long this long term would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, also with the trade deadline, 
exactly a month away now. Uh, that could also have a weird factor into it, but you know, there's there's some room for experimentation if uh, if it's longer term. You call it experimentation. I call it the chaos method, although it's not that much chaos, but there's a lot of moving and shaking that would need to be done in this one. And that chaos method that you know I mentioned to you, you mentioned to me, it was in my thought process immediately after the game. Also, Matt Meager on Twitter made sure that he made it known underneath our Penguins to go yesterday that he thought this would be a good idea. Drop Lars Eller to the fourth line. Because, I mean, Lars Eller's been a good third-line center. Not that he deserves a demotion. But drop him to the fourth line. Call up first-rounder from 2019, Sam Poulin. And maybe you want another penalty kill forward in there. Maybe switch out Colin White with Jansen Harkins. That way you have somebody else that can, you know, take face-offs on the penalty kill. But Sam Poulin is the root of this chaos method. What would you think about him getting that opportunity, especially parlaying how well he's played at the AHL level to come to the NHL level now and get a chance if, again, if Nolachari is going to be out longer term? Mm-hmm. It's a fun solution. It is a fun little uh, <clears throat> hitch in the giddy-up because Sam Poulin has looked pretty good at the AHL level this mm-hmm. year, uh, especially after returning from injury and returning from a ton of time off last year. Um <clears throat> It seems like his progression is to eventually reach the NHL this year. It just it was just waiting for a matter of um, a lineup spot to open up. Now it's very possible that one has for him now. With uh, if Nolachari is down long term, and this is a direction they decide to go again, it'll kind of be um, a decision the coaching staff would also have to make because there is that movement of a veteran to a different to a different position. Mm-hmm. Not I'm sure it's one that. Eller wouldn't, you know, wouldn't mind. wasn't wouldn't worry too much about because you do something like this, you have more of that ability to roll four lines. You're you're gonna parcel out the um, ice time pretty evenly. It's not gonna be like it was for a handful of games this year, where it was the first line's getting a ton of minutes, the second line's getting a ton of minutes, the third's getting a little less, and then absolutely nothing is going to the fourth line. Um, trying to remember some of the names that came up but I mean you know when John Gruden played a couple of games this year maybe seven minutes without you know diving too deep into it mm-hmm. um Mark Johnstone we, Mark Johnstone got in for a game I think he played eight or nine uh Una Koppinen Koppinen played like four you know, for, <laughs> at the time uh yeah then there was like even redeems the Horna hit like five minutes like so <clears throat> the fourth line or at least certain guys just saw their ice time deteriorate this time around, though, even if, if it's Lars Eller on the fourth line with Jeff Carter and uh, you're saying Colin White, not a bad idea, or even if it's still Jansen Harkins, mm-hmm. those are guys that you're confident enough to still roll over the boards at a regular basis. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I like this. I, I, it's a chaos theory, but it's one that mm-hmm. makes a ton of sense and yeah. could work out. Yeah, now part of this might just be the yearning for us to see Sam Poulin at the NHL level and see if what he's starting to build at the AHL can translate to the NHL level. He's a first-round pick. He obviously has a pedigree that comes with him. He obviously has expectations that come with him, and people have been getting impatient with him. I do need to remind everybody, this kid is still, I think, 22, 23 years old. Very young in his NHL career. Still has a chance to come up, but he has been very, very good at the AHL level this season, particularly in the last month or so. Kyle Dubas said on the GM show yesterday that it was a high ankle sprain that he was trying to come back from early in the season, so a difficult you know, injury to try to get up to speed with, to try to get your legs underneath you with. And as we all know, Sam Poulin wasn't the most, 
you know, phenomenal skater to begin with, but you look at what he's been able to do since coming back, since getting his legs back underneath him, obviously headlined and highlighted by that Gordie Howe hat-trick game that he also potted a second goal in a few weeks ago. He has 18 points, 11 of them goals, 7 assists in 27 games with the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. And I mentioned the, the GM show yesterday, Kyle Dubas went on to say, quote, He's really started to assert himself on that level this year, and that's what I think everybody's been waiting for from Sam Poulin. Yeah, that was a question that I had for Dubas at the beginning of the season. It was kind of, does Sam Poulin, because he's he's not an old guy, but he's an older prospect Mm -hmm. in that system, um, you know, what is his, what are his chances? And essentially, Kyle Dubas pretty much said that it's their he expects him to be in the NHL by the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and if this, if if Mike Sullivan is following that same sort of mindset, that same path, um, this would be the opportunity to do it. Because... Eh, one of them. Yeah, one of them. You also have a chance to, like, let's say it doesn't work out. Okay, fine. Try it again next year. We gave it the shot. St. Paul is still a guy you can send down to stew a little longer mm-hmm. and then try again next year through a training camp. Um but it's now's the opportunity to do it because the Penguins are riding pretty high at the moment. I think it's mm-hmm. uh, twelve five and four in their last since that last press conference with Dubis. Um, it's you wouldn't have you wouldn't want to give it a long chance, but this is a perfect time to see what Sam Poulin's made of at the NHL level again. Yeah, it's interesting too because I think when you look at the opportunity right now. You put him in, and I think we both agree that you're setting him up for failure if you put him on the fourth line. I just don't think he meshes with a player like Jeff Carter, with Jansen Harkins. You put him on the third line at center. He's played with Yesapul Yarvi over the last couple of weeks, and I think Ricard Raquel is pretty amenable to be amenable, whatever the word is, to be able to play with different centers, and he's been able to to flow up and down the lineup all season long. So you have a little bit of built-in chemistry there between Poulin and Pouliarvi. Both guys were lighting it up together at the AHL level before Pouliarvi signed that contract and came up to the NHL level. So I think we both agree that he'd go there. And here's the thing. If he's good enough, if he is proven to be able to have some staying power, or if he is the hot hand at that point, because again, what happened to Valtteri Pustin? First 11 games, he was on fire, picking up assist after assist after assist. He wasn't scoring goals, but then he went one assist in his next 11 or 10 games before being sent down. If you're just riding that hot hand and Achari comes back, but he's still hot and you don't want to send him down. How many times has somebody said this season that Nolachari has been good for the Penguins at center? He's been a good fourth-line center. He'd be better at wing. He'd yeah. be better on the wing. So if you have a fourth line then, because if, if again, if, 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 this is all if, if Poulain comes up and looks like a good third-line center, then you have Lars Eller, Nolachari, and Jeff Carter as your fourth line. And I think everybody's pretty happy with the way that looks. Again, if... Sam Poulin can come up and play well. But again, here's the, the only the thing that I don't like about this situation. If you bring him up simply just to fill time until Jeff or Nolachari comes back, I don't think that's giving him enough of a shot. And I think that that will, not on the inside, not on the organizational side, not on the player side, but in the fan base side, if he comes up for four games and then gets sent back down because Nolachari is healthy and he just didn't do enough to warrant a roster spot, he's going to get killed in the fan base. And I know nobody 
in the building cares about that. But I think that, you know, this is just a word of caution. If he comes up for simply that purpose, let's not make it look like, oh, well, he can't play at the NHL level because this is a kid that has been building and building and building and his progression has been building and building and building. He's finally starting to put it all together. Is it a little too early? Maybe, but I think the time might be just right right now to get him an opportunity at the NHL level. He had three games last year. I think he has should have an opportunity here potentially, but as we both stated, this is the chaos method for a reason. Mm-hmm. They're more likely to go the safe route with Colin White, who's a built-in fourth-line center already at the NHL level right now. Yeah, it's the chaos theory, but it's also... The more we discuss it, the more sense it makes, and the more it almost feels like the genuine option they should go with. And then you mention, even if Nolachari gets healthy uh, and you stick him on the fourth line on a wing, aside from that being three of the eight oldest players on the team that I got heart palpitations hearing that, um, that's also an option that you can do because that would be your fourth line again. You, that's mm-hmm. a fourth line that has three, I think, yeah, there's three of the older players on the team, but they're sturdy NHL guys yeah. that. You know, you're not going to, they're not AHL players. No. You're not floating around like we saw a couple times this year and last year where top, top six looking good for the Penguins, bottom six, those are AHL. That is an AHL lineup. Saw that a couple times this year. I just, we listed some of those names earlier. Nothing against those guys. are great hockey players, but, you know, the NHL pedigree isn't there for them where it is, where it is there for possible future Hall of Famer Jeff Carter, just played 1,000 games, Lars Eller, and you know, true leader and awesome dude in the locker room, Nolachari. Yeah. That's a, that's an NHL line right there. So yeah, it's the more we discuss the Sam pool and thing, the more it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the last thing I want to say about the, the, the fourth line you mentioned there, the age is obviously a thing. I, again, I keep trying to, to pound people into people's head. Just forget the age for a second. Can we look at the performance? All of course. three of these players have played their role. Fairly well this season, I would have to say. Like, I, I think it's a blanket statement for all three of them. Fairly well encompasses the way that they have been able to play their role. Now, are they the best at their position? No. By no means are they the best at their position across the National Hockey League. Have they played the role? Yes. Has it been better, in my opinion, in the bottom six this year than it was last year? Yes. I think as a whole, all-encompassing, it has been. Now, again, you still have 30-some games to go. That is really where the bottom six fell off a cliff last year. So we'll have to wait and see before we can make any full blanket judgments on bottom six this year versus bottom six last year. But I think bringing up a guy in Sam pool in would certainly be an interesting decision. And I think it certainly would be a good timing decision right now for the way that he's been playing, become a cult hero down there in Wilkes-Barre and then possibly coming up and really finally putting his stamp on this organization that a lot of people have been waiting for him to do. He's never been expected to be the next one. He's been expected, though, to get better and to rise to the occasion a little bit more than he has, I think, in his career so far. And this would be a great opportunity for him to do that. So, Yeah, it's this is the time. We don't expect him to be the next coming of you know carrying this team into what it could be. Just He's a, a first-round pick, so he's got a little bit of hype to him. And we're looking in you know, with the Penguins don't have many first round picks to sort of divvy from that are their own at least. So whenever we see guys like Poole and Pickering and Jaeger kind of, you know, start to show their worth, it gets exciting where, you know, the blood gets pumping a little bit and you just want to see it work. Um, and this is one, especially because, you know, he's been around a lot longer. Like I said before, he's the oldest, oldest, if you will, prospect in the system. Hmm. Um, 
the time is now because once you hit, he's 24, I think it is, right? Something like that. I'll look it up. Something around that age. Once you hit those ages, 23, 24, you start to realize, oh, the, there are dudes that age playing in the NHL and playing in the NHL well. And, you know, it, we dis, we're dis, we discuss a team that has Evgeny Malkin, Chris Tang, and Sidney Crosby, mm-hmm. 37, 36, 36, respectively. Uh, you forget that it's kind of a young man's league sometimes. There yeah. are 18 year olds playing, there are 19 year olds playing, there are. Connor Bedard's hurt, but he was lighting the Blackhawks up for a little bit there. It's, you know, there are young kids in this league, and once you start to hit your 20s, close to the mid like he is. Uh, no, not quite. He's uh, he's going to turn 22. 20, he's going to turn 23 in a couple weeks. Okay, so 22. I, yeah. I forget who is 24 then. Um, maybe it's posted in. That being said, mm-hmm. uh, he's got that, he's got that time still too, now that he's two years younger, but you start to realize that there are still young dudes in this league and mm-hmm. he can be one of them. Yeah. I'm excited to see what they end up doing. Obviously we hope for the best for Nola Chari. It'd be great to see him back out there, but as we all know, head injuries are nothing to scoff out there, nothing to take lightly. And the penguins won't take it lightly with this injury to Nola Chari. I should have looked back and saw how many days, uh, how many games I should say John Ludwig missed. And that might be kind of a roadmap, but not every concussion is built differently. It's different people, have different symptoms and different people also, you know, different head injuries. Mm-hmm. It's it's very difficult to to understand, very difficult to predict, as we always say. But let's really quickly, before we head over to our interview with Brian Metzer, talk a little bit about the flower. Marc-Andre Fleury will be honored before the Penguins take on the Minnesota Wild on Friday night at 8 o'clock. They will be celebrating his pregame, or pregame they will be celebrating, excuse me, him for reaching 1,000 games and passing Patrick Waugh on the all-time wins list for second all-time. He's the fourth goalie in the history of the National Hockey League to play 1,000 games. He's second all-time in wins now. How excited do you think his he is going to be? How excited do you think the Penguins are going to be? Because obviously the history goes back since 2003 when the Penguins took him first overall. A nice night for the aging out goaltender of Marc-Andre Fleury. It's Gonna be some, there's gonna be some awesome moments. I think it's everyone wanted to see him play in Pittsburgh, um, regardless of whose call it was. We didn't get it, and honestly, it may have been for the better anyway. But it's this is going to be an appropriate little. You don't want to say send off because you're not necessarily calling for the end of his career. He might have another year left in the tank. But this is a nice little moment to celebrate those accomplishments that. There were some times whenever Flurry was still in Pittsburgh before the new back-to-back cups that you'd look at Flurry and go, "This dude can't cut it." Even when you know, even after the 09 Cup, in between those uh, cup years, there were some you know some games, some stretches in there, and then the playoffs would happen where you really wonder what this goalie is, who Mark Andre Flurry is. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that was certain is that he still knew ways to win. He still knew how to shut it down uh, when he needed to and when he could. And then, you know, he leaves Pitt. When helps help regardless of Matt Murray being around. Marc-Andre Fleury helped with those 16 and 17 Cubs mm-hmm. in the right ways. Um, and then he goes on to Vegas, carries that team to a cup final in its first year of existence. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't need to talk about his exit from Vegas. Everyone knows that. Chicago was an interesting one, and now here he is in Minnesota breaking these records that I probably wouldn't have believed he was going to break back in the day. Mm-hmm. I straight up wouldn't have. I liked Flurry. I just don't. I don't know. Like, I don't remember really what I thought of him. I know I liked him, but I don't know if he was th- going to do all this. 
And this is yeah. incredible stuff. Yeah, I think we can all agree that he was probably a Penguins Hall of Famer when he left Pittsburgh mm-hmm. in 2017. But what he's done since, I think, has really got him into the Hockey Hall of Fame Absolutely. stratosphere. And I don't think he was a Hall of Famer as far as the, the National Hockey League in the world. I don't think he was a Hall of Famer when he left Pittsburgh. But he's certainly a Hall of Famer now. Uh, yeah, it would have been a harder discussion then. I mean, I he, mean, he, he went and took Vegas in their first year, as you mentioned. He yeah. won a Vezina Trophy at the age yeah. of like 36. For now that well. he's passed Patrick, uh, passed Patrick Waffer, second all time, he's the fourth goaltender to ever hit a thousand games. The longevity and the ability that he has had to play well late mm-hmm. into his career, we'll get into it not as much this season, but play well late into his career and be a Vezina goaltender. Yeah. at one point very late in his career, I think that is what has cemented him as a, maybe not first ballot, but certainly somebody who's going to heavily be in the conversation for a Hall of Fame spot whenever his career is all said and done. Yeah, those two stats alone. You can't you can't not put him in with those two stats alone. Straight it, up. You, Second all-time in wins and a thousand yeah. games played as a goalie. You those, can't keep him out of the conversation for sure. Oh yeah, like, he could have, like, I forget what the number of wins is. But he could have that that exact number of losses, if not more. You still have to put him in. There's have. you have no choice. Goaltenders don't. There's not a lot of goaltenders in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yeah, but number two all time. Yeah, that's true. You can't not. And then attack on the thousand games played. He's only one of four, yeah. if not three goalies to do that. One of four. He's the fourth. Yeah, you you can't, those two alone. You can't not. He could have awful backing numbers. He could have awful loss records. Mm-hmm. Even with those two, he could have never won a cup and still do it, I'd say, personally, because you can't look at the because you can't have someone down the line look at the all time wins numbers. Thousand games for a goalie might never happen again. Straight up. I mean, yeah, goalies are playing less than they ever have now. Yeah. That straight season up season. might never happen again. Yeah. And that wins number, it's hard to hit. It's possible to hit, but hard as hard as hell. So you look at those two stats and go, how is how was he not? Yeah, so he almost has to. Then you because now you do tack on a well-deserved Vesna late into his career. Mm-hmm. You tack on one cup, one solely by himself. You tack on two where he had a big helping hand in, and you tack on a Stanley Cup final appearance for mm-hmm. in that third in that year after or sorry two years after. Uh, no, that that was the year. Yeah, I'm confusing. Three everything. straight Stanley in, Cup finals. Three state cup finals appearances, and he had a huge helping hand in one and a half of them. I'd say he, you know, you you can decide how you want in 16 and 17. Yeah. But it's, all of that adds up to, it. the more you talk about it, the more it's first ballot type stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now let me ask the question. This is the question that's always going to be asked. Obviously, the Minnesota Wild are outside of a playoff spot. They've had a rough season as of right now. The question is going to be asked over the next calendar month. Will he waive his no-move clause? Will somebody be interested in bringing in Marc-Andre Fleury? He might be a big name on the trade market. As we all know, it is going to be a goalie-heavy trade deadline season. The question then becomes, after this year, because his contract does expire, one more year? And if so, is that year in Pittsburgh? Because, I mean, the Penguins right now have a... No need to bring in Mark Andre Fleury as it currently stands today, but Alex Adelkovich might be pricing himself out of this team, and if he does, I wouldn't want to go to Magnus Helberg as the number two. I like him as the number three. There's an opening there where Mark Andre Fleury can settle himself back in where it all started 22 years ago. Let Joel Blomquist kind of get one more year to stew in the AHL. Yep. It's, I don't know. It, what, what do you think? It, Bring him back it's, one more year? 
listen, this, first of all, ever since he left in 2017. It's been asked too many times. <laughs> how many years has that been? It's been asked every year. But since. I, I will say, this is probably the most realistic here. Suddenly it's, and then every year it's become more and more realistic. It, it, more and more realistic. Yeah. As time has gone on, um, it's become yeah. more realistic. And now it, it just feels like it's lining up to be as, as possible as it's ever been. But would you be interested in bringing him back? I mean, he has a 295 goals against average and an 897 save percentage this season. Not great, but again, not on the best of Minnesota wild teams. So right. where do you stand on it? Um, And maybe, you know, Coming back to Pittsburgh for that last year kind of rejuvenates him a little, and he's able to. You, you As never a backup, goaltending's weird too, man. Yeah. You just never know. Um, I, I don't know how much longer I can toe the line. I don't know. <laughs> I straight up, I don't know because yeah. there's too many factors leading to it. You want the Penguins to still be able to win even next year. Mm-hmm. I will say though, I'll say this: if the wheels fall off and Kyle Dubas has to start stripping this team down. <laughs> screw it go for it yeah. screw it you because at, th- at that point you know Crosby's sticking around you know Malkin and Latang are sticking around you don't know about Gensel at that point what do you have to lose the old what ticket do sales. you have to lose yeah the hey, old Andrew go- McCutcheon back to the Pirates last year I, that did not help that much with ticket sales it well <laughs> it helped like for a month and then maybe jersey started, sales again I, I don't know wasn't sidebar and then we can finish this episode didn't they not at first, make his jersey in the City Connect uh, style? I don't remember. I thought I, I saw I something that, like, when they released the City Connect jerseys, they had, like, the key Brian Hayes, the Brian Reynolds, and maybe one more, but they did, uh, Bednar, but they didn't have Kutch. I'm almost positive that's how it started. I Obviously, you can always get it customized, and I think they have them now. Yeah. But I think off the jump, I don't think they had it. Because I remember looking for those jerseys because I own one. That's a failure of marketing right there. You know he was going to be the highest seller. Like, who cares who your best player is? It's Kutch. It's Kutch. But, you know, it's Flurry. It's Marc-Andre Flurry. I would say, you know, things are aligning, obviously, for that to be an option. Mm-hmm. That's where I see it right now. It's an option. And if they can't bring back Alex Nedeljkovic, because I think that Me should too. be their first call. It should be their first call. If they can't bring him back, I think Flurry is on the short list, and I think it would be amazing to see him have one more year in Pittsburgh. And again, he might retire after this year. He might be completely he might, yeah, done. We don't know. But I think it would be amazing to see one more year in Pittsburgh. And while, yes, his numbers aren't great this year, goaltending Zudu. And if there's any goaltender that one year back where it all started can just take all that energy into a, let's say, 908, 907 save percentage as a backup. 20 games, if maybe we get, 30. Especially if we get the Tristan Jari we've gotten so far this season, mm-hmm. I think you're all right with that. I think yeah. you're all right with that. Plus, I don't know, maybe let's fix the defense a little bit too. That might help. But <laughs> That no, might help a bit. That might help a little bit. But we've talked enough. It's time to let our buddy Brian Metzer do some talking. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we talked with Metz about Evgeny Malkin's turbulent season. Jake Gensel's dilemma right now, and obviously sharing some stories about the man, the myth, and the legend on Celebrate 68 Month, Yarmir Yager. We'll be back right after this break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com, a proud affiliate of the Hockey News. I'm Nick Berlansky, joined as always by Nick Horwat, and joined also by one of the best friends of the show. We bring him on. You can hear him pregame, postgame, intermission reports on the Penguins Radio Network, and don't forget Saturday mornings with Steige on Penguins Live Weekly. We bring back one of the favorites, Brian Metzer. How you doing, Brian? I'm good, guys. Uh, how are you doing? Thanks for having me on, first of all. And Nick, good to see you. I see Nick <laughs> often enough, but this is our first time seeing each other video face to video face in quite some time. So it's great to be with you. But how are you boys doing? Doing good. It's great seeing you after, you know, after a couple of days off. I and mean, we sit, what, <laughs> two seats down from each other in the press box. So it's, uh, you know, we're in constant communication and we've been watching these Penguins for the last two years right side by side. And it's been uh, and it's been a journey, to say the least. It's a good way of putting it. Um, definitely a journey with the with this crew going through everything that they did with the management changes, the personnel changes, the decision to keep the big three. And um, I kind of think they're seeing what that bed looks like a little bit now. Uh, some of the decisions they made, which ultimately could still not be terrible, but I guess we'll find out how it plays out. It's just uh, not been exactly what they anticipated to this point. The last time we had John Metz, we were talking about Evgeny Malkin's 1,000th game and kind of looking back with rose-colored glasses at his career. But if you look at the season this year in particular, it's been very up and down. He started red hot, and then he's kind of fallen off a little bit, kind of regressed a little bit, but the numbers still look pretty good. Yeah. So I guess my question is, is this something as simple as is father time catching up to a 37-year-old Evgeny Malkin, or is there something else that you feel has his game off right now? Um. It's probably a little bit of all of that. I mean, he certainly didn't age as well as Sidney Crosby and Chris Letang have. I mean, those two are just freaks of nature, especially Sid. Um, And you could say the same about Chris with all the health stuff that he's overcome to be where he still is. But Gino, you know, I think he lost some mobility from where he once was. And without his level of speed that he used to play with, I think that causes him some havoc from time to time. His decision-making also, uh, I think, drives people crazy. But for the most part... He's still at least, I mean, essentially a point of game guy. Um, I know he's not scoring goals at the click that people expect. He's had some some mistakes and some gaps. And what I, the only thing I will say, and I think you guys know this from our conversations in the past, I always have a little bit of a soft spot for him, just because I mean we've all covered his career forever. He's a great guy. I know how much he cares. He is one of the most talented hockey players that have ever come through Pittsburgh. He's a Hall of Famer. He's one of the best Russians ever. That being said. I think a few narratives get built about Gino being so terrible and him being the problem and the mistakes are all him and the power plays all him and everything's all him that then that is parroted across Penguins nation. And everybody just says, Gino's the problem. Now he still has his, you know, benefactors and people that will go to war for him and all of this, but really in the media, especially, I think he has become a whipping boy. He was a whipping boy in the best of times and he's a whipping boy in the worst of times. And I would love to see what people would be saying about Geno's season if he was playing on his own team right now instead of playing against or next to a freak of nature, Sidney Crosby at 36 years old, going for 50 goals and doing all this stuff. But I think Geno still brings a lot. Uh, it's just a matter of figuring out his best usage potentially um, in, in a lot of the circumstances because he does sometimes look like he's aloof 
Uh, I know the thing that gets brought up is the way he swoops around and look the way he just circled into the zone and left the zone defensively, even though there's two other penguins in the same area that didn't make a defensive play, but it's Gino's mm-hmm. fault. You know, those kinds of things. He's at fault just as much as the team was on the situation. Cause I hate their defensive zone coverage when they have five guys back and two or three of the opponent can come in and, pass around and score a goal on five penguins. I mean, that makes you rip your hair out. He's been on for some of those, but so have a lot of other penguins. So that being said, I think that maybe you had to know what you were getting with him, And I think he's delivering at least productivity wise to a certain level with what you'd expect. You want more goals. And I'd like to see what happens if he can find some maybe true wingers to play Mm -hmm. with because this year they've kind of shuffled a little bit. Raquel's been in and out of there. Uh, Smith has been in and out of there and Smith actually is more, should be more of a whipping boy than Gino at this point because Riley Smith is eating up a big chunk of cash and he's not really living up to the hype that we thought based on his first few weeks, we thought he might be really good and he's not been able to do it. Now he's out hurt. So I guess that all comes together to Mm -hmm. say, I think Gino has been okay he needs to be better, but I don't think he's been as bad as people have painted the picture. You kind of alluded to my next question there. When it comes to the wingers, obviously, you know, Riley Smith went for a two goals in 30 games before being injured stretch. Ricard Raquel, obviously, we saw his struggles at the beginning of the season when playing with Evgeny Malkin. When you look at the team right now, who do you think are the best wingers to put next to Malkin right now to try to get his game to be better on a more consistent basis? Um, if, if Brian Russ could be healthy and play there and have that be a duo and then somebody on the other side with then Sid and Jake Gensel. I mean, the, Mike Sullivan's always liked those, those pairs, you know, like mm-hmm. the putting two guys together. Now I will say Drew O'Connor just generally, if he can continue to progress, he and Gino have collaborated pretty well. Yeah. Um, they, they found each other in the zone. I mean, they set up each other for some nice scoring chances. Um, it's not been a huge, huge, huge dose of it so far this season when you look at the grand picture, but I, I kind of like the look of that. And if you could find some way to maybe have it be Smith and him or Brian Rust and him, that might be a good line, at least because they can all skate. They can all kind of go and fetch pucks for Gino a little bit, let him play his east-west action through the neutral zone and in the high zone and let those guys go into the corners and kind of produce and dig it out for him. So mm-hmm. that's maybe what I would consider if they're all healthy. But for right now, until you get everybody back, it's kind of a little bit of a mishmash. Yeah. I think guys that play a straight ahead game, as long as they know Gino's not always going to play a straight ahead game, that'll work pretty well mm-hmm. for as long as they know what to expect with them. Because yeah. if they're down in the corner and Gino goes off, they go offside because Gino didn't go into the zone yet, that's a problem. So as long as they can read and react off of him, play the straight ahead game, fetch those pucks, and maybe feed him in the high slot or in and around the net. Because the one thing he does a lot more, maybe not since he was a younger player, in recent years, I think he goes to the net a lot. I mean, he scored some goals in tight that Gino used to be one-timer guy, mm-hmm. wrist shot guy, off the rush guy. Now he gets little chip-ins, tip-ins, all these little things that you wouldn't anticipate. So if he can do that and you get guys that can fetch pucks for him, I think that would be a pretty good spot for, for Gino. It's just a matter of finding that right mix. And I know I tiptoe around it, but I did give you a couple names <laughs> yeah. that I think it, it could work with. Him. A couple of key names in there. Would it, do you think any of the like AHL or the minor league call-up guys could fit in there? I know Valtteri Pustin got a chance there, uh, and you know who's, who knows if he even comes back after this break. Uh, yeah. But maybe like a Sam Poulin or even Jesse Pouliardi, if he gets a deal, like could those kind of names work next to Malkin uh, as well? You get mixed stories on both of those guys down there. Um, I think we talked to Nick Hart on the Saturday morning show last week, 
and Nick spoke in fairly glowing terms about uh, Sam saying that he thinks, you know, he's developing into a, a really nice hockey player, not a star level guy, but if he can be a blue collar guy, drop the mitts, be gritty, get in the corners, get pucks and go to the net and score some goals. I mean, he just came off of that outstanding game a week mm-hmm. or so ago where he had the Gordie Howe hat trick and he had the, the picture going around with the blood coming down of his eye and everything. I, I think a guy like that, I wouldn't mind giving him a look, but he's probably destined to be more of a bottom six forward or the Penguins, which would be just fine. I think that would go a long way. If you get a guy that could be defensively responsible, uh, hard to play against, willing to hit, willing to be physical, that would, that would help. Um, Pulley RV is an interesting name because we all know his pedigree. We all know what he is capable of or should have been capable of. He went to the Edmonton scenario, which, is what it is because if he was there right now being drafted into that scenario, who knows how it would have gone, but he still came in with a little bit of a hype train thinking that they could pin some stuff on him. I know they already had stars, but I think the pressure was very high for a guy coming off the world junior championship that he had. And it just never really manifested in success. Then he has his injuries. So everything, everything that could go wrong for him did. So I think that he's shown some things in Wilkes right now where he shows his offensive flair. I think he's moving pretty well. Some people that have watched him say that his hips might not be ready yet to come back to the National Hockey League. Nick Hart seemed to think he needs a little bit more seasoning down there, but then he could come back and potentially play. And I would hope, I mean, if you have a guy with, he was a top five draft pick, he should be able to play in your top six. Now, I mean, people never thought Chris Kunitz was that kind of player. I'm not comparing the two, but I just mean sometimes you find fits like that. So maybe him, and sorry for that, uh, those are emails coming in here, uh, that little chime, if you're hearing it. Um, the, I think he could be a guy that could get on one of the wings of Evgeny Malkin, potentially, if, mm. if he comes up and he can move and he can skate and be a bruising force. Because, you know, the European style kind of meshes together. They both kind of can play mm. that way. So it, it would be something I'd be intrigued to try if he does get the call up here. And I, I assume at some point they are going to do that. Now, it may not be until after the trade deadline when they move out a piece or two, simply because he's not signed to a contract right now. He's still in his tryout. They have to get him signed if they want to bring him up. Not a lot of cap space to do that. And I also think that's probably a big reason why he agreed to the tryout, because he knew it was an attractive spot with potentially some changes happening, some youth movement in the near future uh, over the next handful of years. So I wouldn't be shocked to see them maybe um, get him signed at some point and to maybe potentially at least give him a look there. That could be interesting. And you mentioned the idea of, you know, pieces being moved out and, you know, obviously one of the biggest topics of, you know, surrounding the Penguins with this upcoming trade deadline has been Jake Gensel. Just, sure. um, you know, what has Jake Gensel brought to this lineup every night? And just, you know, overall, where do you stand on the idea of him uh, being traded before this upcoming deadline? I mean, it's such a catch-22, isn't it? I mean, with the Penguins, it's probably mm-hmm. the biggest one that they've had since... The only thing I could come up with, and again, I'm not comparing the two players, but for the value they had in the moment was Robert Lang because um, they ended up letting him walk as a free agent because they couldn't come to terms on a contract. They didn't want to trade him, and he walked away. I mean, it's not quite Kovalev because they ended up – they did move him out, and that trade didn't necessarily work out. So you had two examples of a guy who was a very productive player for Pittsburgh – I mean, Jay's on the cusp, or Jay, um, Jake is on the cusp of becoming sort of a, um, you know, a star player in the league. I mean, he's, he is a star the way he can score, 
but you watch the way he goes about his business. I mean, he, he just finds ways to get into areas to score goals. You just see what a Lindholm got in the trade last night. Now, I think they're different in that Lindholm is a two-way player, very good defensively, can win faceoffs, can still score. He may not be a 40-goal man, but he can bring a lot to the table, which is why he had value to them because they feel like they can win this season with him slotting in as a second-line center. Jake was rumored to them as well for goal scoring. Well, they're getting a lot of that for you know from Brock Besser, from Pedersen's doing some scoring, JT scoring. All these guys up there are chipping in. So there's still a chance maybe that they would be interested. If you get the type of deal that just got Elias Lindholm to Vancouver, it would be hard not to pull the trigger on it, especially because they did so without the guarantee of a contract. If you had that, it's worth considering it if you were out of it or you're not in contention because you could really bolster your cupboard, so to speak, with draft picks, a, you know, a couple key prospects and a player, all these kinds of things, and maybe still sign Jake in the summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we, I, I believe a part of him, yes, he wants paid, but he also knows how great it is to play with Sid even at 36, 37 years old. So he's probably considering that. For me, I think Kyle Dubas has to look at the situation and say, okay, we're coming up to the trade deadline, which is what, a month away, Mm -hmm. essentially. Am I going to be able to, am I in contention enough to not, to to kind of balk at what I could get in return for a Jake Gensel and, you know, try and make a run with this group? Because you know that the big guys would love to keep Jake because he scores. Anytime you feed him, I mean, he, he finds a way to put it in the net. And he just has that ability. Paul Steigerwald always says this. And it's, again, not a comparison to the player, but the way things look, he almost has a great, a Wayne Gretzky knack of passing the puck into the net, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look like there's a lot of mustard on it. His shots just find a way in. I mean, he puts it to the net, it goes in. I mean, even in his shootout attempt the other night, it goes off the glove, goes you know up and, and, and into the net over Bobrovsky. So uh, he just has a knack of doing that. So I think if you, if you can envision yourself not as a playoff team, if they're going to miss the playoffs – I think you have to at least consider moving him because it's going to take $9 million probably to sign him. He might take a hair less to stay, but it's still a big chunk of your cap. Too many other mistakes have been made. Not that he would be a mistake, but not the money you gave uh, Gino and Chris Letang because that's what everyone points to. The money you're paying Eric Carlson, the money you're paying Riley Smith, the money you're paying uh, to Graves, that money has not paid back dividends to you just yet. I mean, I know Carlson's putting up points, but you know what I mean when I say mm-hmm. that. You're you're not always seeing the bang for the buck with Eric Carlson as an $11 million player on paper. Not for you, it's $10 million. But And you're not getting everything out of Graves. You're not getting everything out of that. So those mistakes kind of look like you, you almost have to make a tough decision on Jake Gensel simply because you were going to paint yourself into a really ugly corner that you're not going to be able to get out of and you're going to be up against the cap and have to not ice a full lineup or something um, on some certain nights. So... I think if they're not in it, they're going to miss the playoffs. You have to at least consider the return based on what we just saw for Nelias Lindholm. And then from there, maybe you make backdoor deals and say, hey, we'll talk to you in the summer. If you don't sign, we'd love to have you back. And maybe he comes back. And and at that point, you can use the offseason to manipulate some of that cap to make room for him. But right now, it's hard to commit eight and a half to nine million dollars to another player based on where your salary cap is and based on where the team is. Because let's be realistic, even if they get into – the wild card, which they're not that far removed from, they have games in hand, they have all this good stuff. 
you're second to last in your own division, essentially. Um, I think they maybe switched maybe one spot there. And beyond that, you're almost at the bottom of the Eastern Conference and will be even more so by the time you hit the ice again on February 6th. Yeah, it'll be an interesting little, you know, lead up to see how it goes. I think, uh, you know, Kyle Dubas is waiting to see how the team rolls and um, it'll just be fascinating to see over the next month, I'd say, uh, for this month of February coming up. But taking things off of the ice a little bit here, you know, the Penguins radio booth has seen quite a bit of change this year. And <laughs> I'm curious as to what, you know, how, how you felt, like how things have gone with this transition, getting Steve Mears in there and also uh, just the rotation of uh, names and faces that have gone through there and even uh, with Michelle getting a spot, getting the spotlight for a little bit, just how has the uh, how's the radio booth rotation been this year? Um, the whole broadcast situation for the Penguins is kind of what caused that, which has been mm-hmm. interesting. I mean, the TV side probably sees more rotation than we have, but adding Michelle kind of switched that up a little bit because, believe it or not, even though it seems like nobody is really dealing with it as much, we had some COVID pop up. That's why Borky had to miss a couple games and. Michelle got pressed into duty. I actually got sick earlier uh, a couple months ago too myself, which was crazy, right right before Christmas. And so they had to do some shuffling. I still worked all those games via phone, but uh, Borky doesn't have that luxury when you have to call the game. But it's been interesting because, I mean, you, you got Josh on television. I thought that, I mean, you guys have talked to him a number of times. You've seen him. You know him. He looks like a TV personality. He does. I mean, he, he has all of that. I mean, mm-hmm. he's – He's a great-looking guy, beautiful suits. I mean, he, he walks the walk. He, I mean, he has that look. And he's in the spot, I think, that he was destined for. So he moves to TV, and he's doing a great job there. Um, Colby Armstrong, we all thought, would automatically be the heir apparent to go into that spot once they made the changes that they did. But Colby was only kind of a part-timer there. Borky was given 12 games on TV. Mike Rupp was giving the balance. So Army 38-ish. Borky 12, and then Rupper, the the last mix, which then for radio made us have um, Steve Mears comes to us, which honestly, um, I haven't, I mean, I was familiar with Mearsy's calls over the years just because he, he's been around forever, but I hadn't had the, the luxury of hearing it in recent seasons because I'm always watching from the studio, listening to the radio side, whatever, but he's doing a great job for us. I think he brings a lot of energy. He, his dry sense of humor is awesome um, because sometimes you got to really pay attention to catch his little like nuances that he says. Uh, so he's been really good with Borky, but I'll tell you a diamond in the rough there because Josh and Borky are such a dynamic team. I think they do a great job together and not that Mears and, and Phil Bork aren't because they are, they're, they're working very well together as well. But I, I think in the, this is my prediction moving into the future some way, somehow, I think you will see, Phil Bork move in some capacity to do more TV with Josh and Colby to come to radio and do more with Steve Mears because I think that Colby unlocks a little bit more on the radio in terms of his analysis of the game. He still brings his personality and all those other little fun things that he does, but he breaks plays down maybe a little bit more on radio knowing that the radio listener needs that. Um, and he seems a way more comfortable there, which he's, he's great on TV too. It's like, this is not a knock on the things that they're doing. So don't yeah. take it that way. I just, that's in my mind, I've just noticed that. I think those two work so well together and the other two work so well together. Now, that being said, we had the, the luxury of having someone like Michelle available when Borky went on the shelf with his sickness and she did slide in and she did, um, two games for us and to never have done it in the past she did a great job it was awesome to see her slide right in and 
uh, not get overwhelmed. And I'll tell you guys this, if you weren't aware, her first game was against the Philadelphia Flyers. Her and Mears called that from Pittsburgh off a screen because that's whenever um, Forky just went on the shelf with his COVID. And they were worried about having Steve Mears travel with the team because he had been around Borky, even though he didn't show any signs. So as a, you know, a nod to caution and, and just a preventative move, he and Michelle called that game for Pittsburgh. So I thought it was kind of interesting that maybe that was a good thing because you don't have the shock and awe of the crowd and being actually in the radio booth in the busy building and all. But all that being said, I think it's, it's a great luxury that the Penguins have across the board because we all have a, a group of people that can all do just about anything. You got the play-by-play guys. Last year, we saw Staggy step back in a couple times mm-hmm. when Josh was sick. Uh, so that happened. So you have that option. And when that happens, I slide right in and do Stag stuff, and we all kind of move around. But we have a big group of people now that you can draw upon, and I think they're all very talented, and um, like they all can do it. It's really cool to, to be a part of that kind of team. Mm-hmm. So it's been different, but it's been it's been kind of a unique and, and cool thing to, to work with some different people. And I had done work. Um, I'm not sure if you guys know this with Steve Mears, whenever he was doing penguins live daily way back in the day, I used to do weekly hits with him. And then when he left for the NHL network, I started doing a penguins live daily show as when he left and I did the five to six hour with Steve Colby when he was here, who was the old capitals play by play radio man. And uh, so Steve and I tag teamed the afternoons, but it was cool because we worked with Mears before and mm-hmm. to get Steve Mears back in our fold on the Penguins radio network. has been a lot of fun because I always liked him and I got along with him. And we both have some things that we, we like in common, such as um, collecting hockey cards. And we always talk about and, and that kind of thing. So uh, that's been a lot of fun to have him back and be a part of that group. That was already a, a fun group to work with. Penguins on the ice and in the booth do the same things. Horowat always says Sullivan <laughs> likes to make sure the people can play both sides. And it sounds like in the booth, everybody's kind of geared towards being able yeah. to step into the role that is asked next of them. Man up. Next <laughs> man up. Or woman in this next case. Next man or woman up. Yeah. And, and honestly, I, I think it's never a bad thing to have that many great voices be the voice of your team because you allow everybody to kind of welcome into that family. And I think it really looks like a family type atmosphere whenever you guys tag team from radio to television. And I think it brings everybody in and the viewer in even that much more as well. So certainly been awesome. an ex- great to watch, obviously on Sportsnet Pittsburgh and the Penguins radio network and, and Metzer. We always love having you on. I want to ask you one last question before we let you go, because it is February, which means celebrate 68 is coming up. So oh, yeah. the last question I want to ask you here is about Yarmir Yager. How would you describe watching Yager's early years with the Pittsburgh Penguins and is there a quintessential moment that sticks out in your mind when you think about Yager with the Penguins crest on his chest um right away I mean the cups obviously are there but the Mm -hmm. moment for me uh is um him scoring the overtime goal against the Devils on one leg in overtime you know just at the Civic Arena place goes bonkers they were in danger of losing the team yet again I mean it just (laughs) seems like it happened so many times in their history and we always say how blessed we have been to have Mario Yager Sid Gino etc etc well Yager was the first uh heir apparent in that line and he really carried that mantle well um he helped save the team just as much as everyone else uh and so that that moment just because I remember seeing a picture and I've heard talk of it, his leg where he had this hamstring injury or whatever it was, Mm -hmm. was black, um, essentially. 
and he was skating really when you say one leg he really was because the muscle was so damaged but he was able to go out and do it and it was just so awesome because i i actually was there as a fan that day with a ticket and um it, it, my friend to tell to, to give you a funny anecdote about it i was there with my buddy bob and he had a softball game at i forget what time it was an afternoon penguins game though mm-hmm. and he leaves he goes i i gotta go I, i'm not gonna make my game and he was worried about traffic too, because it may have, and I don't remember this perfectly, it may have been marathon day too. Oh. <laughs> and he was worried about, it was something, you know, it was like yeah, some happened. weird thing like that. And he was worried about traffic getting to where he needed to get to. So he leaves after regulation and Yager essentially scores before he was to his car. He, <laughs> he missed this awesome moment walking to his car because he decided to leave and he missed it. But that being said, uh, Yager watching his entire career was awesome for me uh, as a Penguins fan in Pittsburgh. Uh, here's another little cool story. I went to high school with a guy named Rick Nemec. Rick, hope you don't mind me mentioning your name, but uh, I'm still friends with he and his wife today. His aunt and uncle were Yager's billet family when he moved to Pittsburgh and that first year or whatever. So Rick used to come in. We went to Central Catholic and he would come into school and tell us about how he was playing Nintendo with Yager over the weekend, or they were shooting hoops or doing all these little things. And you're like, well, that's kind of cool. You're hanging out with Yager. Cause they were just, he was just essentially our age. He was a little bit mm-hmm. older than us. And um, he used to bring like autograph sticks in and all this other stuff. So to have that, and then to go watch him win those two Stanley cups and really just blossom into what he became, which yeah, in those early years, maybe he used to like party a little bit and he liked to drive fast and he liked his Kit Kats and he did all this crazy stuff. Well, he really became what Sid is today in that he was the prototypical hockey player working out in the middle of the night and being in the best shape. And I mean, there's a reason why he can still play in the, the over in Czechia at his age. I mean, that's just remarkable that he can go out and still play and put points up. Um, <laughs> that's what's wild. And I know he's looking forward to this event. The Penguins are looking forward to it. And if you don't know it, Phil Bork was instrumental in setting that up because he was traveling in Europe a couple of summers ago and he went and talked to, uh, he, he told his girlfriend at the time, which is now his wife said, why don't we go and see Yags? We're over here. It's my old friend. And she was okay. So they stopped and see him. They hung out. He put the bug in his ear. Next thing you know, Kevin Acklin and Yager are on the phone and the rest is history. All this is happening. Finally, uh, the marriage mm-hmm. happens again. It's renewed. The vows <laughs> are renewed after some talk of divorce for a long time. So mm-hmm. it's been, been kind of a cool thing and uh, it was an awesome thing to see him his entire career play out and i'm really looking forward to the 18th to see him back in the building with the number 68 going to the rafters and the old acronym mario jr finally comes home yeah you talked about it being a wedding the reception is basically (laughs) that weekend celebrate 68 weekend (laughs) i know i'm excited because that's going to be the first game that i'm going to get to go to this season so it's going to be a great weekend it's going to be obviously well deserved for yarmir yager and appreciate you sharing some of those anecdotes and some of those personal stories as you always bring that little flavor to this podcast and we always love having you on so mets thank you so much for joining us we'll let you you know get to your weekend here but we appreciate you giving us some time here today Oh, anytime, guys. I always love to catch up with you. Uh, let's not make it so long this time. It's yeah. it, I, I, did, I forgot it was when Gino played his 1,000th game. That means we're well over a year oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> since we did it. So we need to do it a little more often. But I appreciate the time today. Great conversation as always. So thanks for having me. Well, thank you, Mets, and thank you to everybody for tuning in. Remember, you can catch us on YouTube at Inside the Penguins or anywhere you get your podcast from. We'll see you guys next time. 